Life Audio. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I'm Zach. I'm Randy. And this is episode 114. That's not a significant it's, number. No, it's not. At all. Dude, over two years of doing this. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And uh, we're, we're going to do, we, we wanna, we've been talking about Christmas at church here. Right. And we've been talking about he is, who is Jesus. And uh, so we were like, well, what could we do on the podcast to kind of talk about, you know, Jesus coming into the world and, and, and what that means? And we were sitting in a in a meeting yesterday, and and boom, the, it came to Randy, and he texted me from a, I don't know from three feet to my left, <laughs> and I looked in my pocket, and I was like, oh yeah, that is a good one. And so we're talking about all the ways that Jesus surprised people with who he was and what he did. And there's a lot of surprises, and as we looked at him, we realized, hey, these are pretty significant. Yeah. So we're gonna get into that, but first, a quick word from our sponsors. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. All right. So we said Jesus is full of surprises. Right. What do we mean by that? Uh, there are a number of places where Jesus just, he didn't fit the mold. He he changed people's expectations, or rather, people had expectations that he would act in a certain way. He doesn't, and everybody's just awestruck by the way he doesn't act in those certain ways. And not always awestruck in a good way. Oh, sometimes, I, ultimately, that's why they killed him. Right, right. Um, so we want to kind of get into the nooks and crannies of, you know, wh- what did people expect the Messiah to be? Yeah. What what yeah. did people expect this this man that's going to come from God, that is God, you know? who Who is this that they had in mind, and why did, how did Jesus kind of break the mold on that? And, and what did people expect, not just of the Messiah, but of people in general? Yeah, Jesus that's true. Jesus even broke that mold. That's very true. First of all, he's a 30-year-old unmarried male. That was unheard of. That is interesting. Um, so, like, everybody would have been married in that? Time? I mean, is that the idea? Well, by and large. By okay. and large. You know, there's probably the exceptions, but uh, um, uh, certainly Jesus, the expectation would have been that he would have had a wife, would have had kids by then, probably would have got married when he was around 18 years old. And here he is 30 years old. He is 
he's uh, an old bachelor, and they were practically unheard of, unless he had been married and his wife died. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, well, sorry, I knew th- those things about him, but I didn't realize how much of a cultural oddity that would have been. Um, so, I mean, would, would that have made people question his teachings or like would that have made him less than or was it just kind of weird to see? Well, yeah, I think it was kind of weird to see. And it might have made people question his teaching, but what we do see is after they hear his teaching, they say, whoa. Well, it's sort of like <laughs> the same thing uh, when he's a little kid and he's at, at the temple yeah, yeah, and he starts teaching and all the the teachers are like, what is going on? Like, yeah. How does this kid know so much? And so, yeah, I mean, he it's it's kind of like – He's this unassuming guy. I mean, is it the book of – it's Isaiah that says that he's he's nothing much to look at. Right, right. Like Isaiah just, 52 and 53. Right. And so, I mean, he's he's just kind of a normal-looking guy. He's unmarried. And when he's a kid, uh, you know, that, that makes him unqualified to be teaching. Right. But every yeah. time he opens his mouth, he captivates people, whether yeah. good or bad. Yeah. yeah. Right? So – it's like it, it at the heart of it he's everything that that the messiah is supposed to be he's yeah, like yeah he is this captivating man yeah. like that that really like divides people but he breaks enough of the mold that they question how can this be the messiah right he doesn't fit the mold right um but before we get into like the 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 maybe deeper stuff. The the thing I mentioned in my sermon on Sunday was that, you know, I think the one that's on the nose and, and the disciples kind of hint at this through things they say to Jesus is they're expecting him to overthrow the Romans. Yeah. Like that's yeah. what the that's what the Jews were expecting out of the Messiah. That was the messianic expectation. Yeah. And and so when he isn't this warlord when he isn't this insurrectionist when he isn't this like terrorist kind of figure when he comes and one of his first teaching is if a soldier asks you if a roman soldier asks you to carry his goods for a mile carry him too right i mean okay so yeah so let's dive into that like let's just start there what would have been the audience response to hearing that uh, no way right cuz <laughs> i mean like do that. I, so I've been watching The Chosen through I, – I'm not caught up on season three. And I, and listen, to any of you listening to this right now, I am fully aware that there's a lot of controversy around The Chosen and its ties to Mormonism. And I totally understand where you're at, but I fall on the side of – I'm not going to The Chosen for, for my theological understanding. I'm using it as a companion to have a picture to put to, to the biblical times. That's yeah. all it's – it is for me. Okay. And so I can enjoy that. Regardless, the Romans depicted in that or in the Passion of the Christ or in, you know, what, whatever you want to watch, they're always so mean. Yeah. They're so yeah. brutal and harsh. They're soldiers. Right. They're soldiers. Yeah. And they're on the job. And right. exactly. their life is on the line if they slip up. Right. And so they're constantly just like corralling the Jews and like trying to keep them – 
docile. And, and by and large, that is not only accurate, but it's probably downplayed. They were probably worse than what you might see in the chosen. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Well, cause, uh, I forget, I forget the ones, the, the Roman soldier's name that's with Matthew. Because Matthew's I, a tax I, collector. Yeah, I'm not following it enough to But even he's know. pretty mean. I mean, yeah. he like, you know, drags him around by the arm and he like, he almost, you know, he thinks he's going to get him killed. So he's almost cussing him out. Like he, he can't stand him. Um, yeah, I mean, you got to take into consideration that the Romans are literally crucifying people in the streets. Exactly. So these are people you hate. Yeah. And now you got this guy going, if he tells you to carry his pack, carry it further carry, than he tells you yeah, to. Carry it twice as far. Right. Or, or if somebody, you know, hits you across the face, offer them the other cheek. Yeah. Or if somebody, uh, you know, talking about paying taxes, you know, well, whose face is on the coin? Well, Caesar's. Well, then give Get to Caesar up. what is Caesar's, <laughs> right? And it's like, wait, what? Like, you're not supposed to be saying these right. things. You're supposed to hate the Romans. And he's saying, no, love your enemy. Yeah. And so th this would be so foreign. I mean, imagine today. Bad example. We're not really we're not really at war with anybody right now. And we're also we, we kind of are. I mean, you know, we got we got yeah. the Russia, Ukraine stuff not, going on, but not, we are not actively. Right. Right. We're not in engaged in that war. And, and the war doesn't seem to be directed at us. But think back to 9-11. Yeah. When the whole United States was terrified of the Muslim people. Right. Now, we all kind of banded together and we're like, you know, we're not going to take this. You know, <laughs> and it was kind of this like yeehaw moment. But like imagine, though, if somebody stood up and said – if the president of the United States stood up and said, you know, we're, we're going to love our neighbors. Yeah. You know, because these people are our neighbors too. You know, and and if and they've slapped us across the face, we're we're going to offer them the other cheek. You know, yeah. like to take this pacifist route. You know, how would we have responded as American people? Well, I think history shows us that uh, Bush's highest approval ratings were immediately after nine eleven, right? Because he gave a speech about the axis of evil and how right. America was going to stand up and it, we were going to defeat the axis of evil. And he wasn't, he wasn't saying we're going to love them to death. Right. <laughs> right. And, and, and understand, I, I'm not saying that there's not a time for war and things like that. I'm, I'm just trying to paint a picture of like how absurdly Different what Jesus is preaching is from what they expected to right, hear, right? Right, right. Um, what, what else we have? We have several uh, different things that take place in Jesus's life right from the very start. So, uh, one of the ones that I was aware of that I, that I initially thought of was in the book of Luke. And it's a small thing. It's a minor thing. But right after uh, Jesus goes and he's baptized in the Jordan, that took place down by Jerusalem in Galilee. So Jesus lived north. He lived in, in Nazareth. So he returns to Galilee. He's been gone for a period of time. 
40 days in the wilderness plus the time to be baptized by John. So he's probably been gone for two months, maybe more, maybe three months. He comes back and tradition would say when you have a traveler that comes home, he goes to the synagogue. He gets to read scripture that morning. And what happened when you read scripture, you would pull the scroll, which has been rolled up. Um, every time you read the scroll, you don't roll it back to the beginning. You just kind of fold that scroll together and you put it back in its leather pouch. So when the next guy pulls it out, it's right where you left off reading. There was a lectionary and you read a certain part. That part is clearly marked. So anybody who was there, the expectation would be, take the scroll out of the leather pouch, read the portion you're supposed to read. And then whoever it was who read the scroll gets the chance to talk about it. In essence, they preach about the passage that day. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. So Luke chapter 4 says that Jesus took the scroll and he unrolled it. What Jesus basically did is he looked at the portion that had been assigned to him to read. He looks at it and he says, no, that's not it. And he starts looking. He unrolls the scroll and looks until he finds the portion that he's supposed to read. And then he reads Isaiah 63. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He's sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. The blind will see. The oppressed will be set free. The time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, hands it back to the attendant, the the chief of the synagogue. He sits down, which is, that's how you taught uh, everybody else, would either be seating or maybe they were standing. But when you were getting ready to teach, you would sit. He sits down, he looks around, and he says, yep, that scripture is fulfilled today. Amen. End of sermon. (laughs) That's it. An incredible uh, variation from what they were expecting. First of all, he changed the scripture passage. He read something else. And then his sermon was just to say, yeah, it's talking about me. 
here I am. It's fulfilled today. So in the way he said that, you know, that that scripture is fulfilled today, do you think they knew what he meant? No, I don't think they they knew totally what he meant. But as soon as they said that, um, everyone spoke well of him. They were amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. But then they asked, how can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? So they understood at least part of what he was yeah. saying. And uh, they were amazed. And that's what we see time and again. When Jesus does these surprising things, they're in awe. They're amazed. Right. It's like some people grow closer to him in those moments and others just dig their heels in deeper and move further away from him. They just hate him yeah. more for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, connected to that one, something I was thinking about is, um, you know, the, the, like I said, they, they were expecting him to establish this like kingdom on earth. Right. right. And it's this, um, it's, uh, what's the verse, uh, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David right, and over his right. kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That's Isaiah nine, seven. Yeah. So they're, they're expecting that now on earth right. with the Messiah. Right. And he comes preaching, my kingdom's not of this world. Right. What? <laughs> what, what, what do you mean by that exactly? Because we need somebody to fix all this now. You know, that's where yeah. their heads are at. Yeah. 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 What else we got? Um, another time in the book of Mark, I think it's Mark chapter one at the very end of that chapter. Uh, there's a leper that comes to Jesus. And I don't know if we've talked about this particular passage before, but uh, most most of our listeners are probably aware that lepers typically, uh, when you call it leprosy, which is not the same as what we call leprosy today, they were very contagious skin diseases. And uh, uh, some of them were very severe, uh, life-threatening. Others, they were just a nuisance. Uh, they kind of grouped them all together and they would send lepers to live in cities that were dedicated to lepers, leper colonies, if you would. And there people would go and they'd, they would, uh, live out their life. Well, the fact of the matter is a lot of people who contracted the skin disease had families and they didn't want to leave their families. So the possibility that they would stay in normal areas, non-leper areas, uh, that was out there. And at the end of uh, chapter 1 of Mark, there's a guy like that. Now, what they would have to do is they would have to shout unclean when you would come close. That way, if you heard somebody shouting unclean, it's kind of like hearing a rattlesnake. You don't quite know where it is, but you stop and you look around until you find the rattlesnake, until you see the leper, and then you avoid the leper. At the end of the book of Mark, the guy comes close to Jesus, and the book of Mark doesn't say, but clearly he had to be shouting unclean or he would have been stoned. And the crowd draws back, and Jesus stands still. The guy comes closer to Jesus, unclean, unclean, and the crowd goes even farther, and Jesus stays there. The guy gets right before Jesus, and he kneels down, and he says, if you want to, you can make me clean. And what Mark says 
is that Jesus looked around a little bit frustrated. He said, if I want to, of course I want to. Then he reaches down and he touches the leper. And you can kind of hear his disciples going, oh, you know, they're, they're just amazed because you don't touch a leper. You're going to get leprosy if you do. But Jesus's health was more contagious than the leper's leprosy. He touched the man, the leprosy falls off, and he walks away healed. And everybody at the end of that passage is talking about Jesus because he does things that are so strange. Mm. That's a big one. That's yeah. a really big one. Yeah. In, in kind of that same thinking, I think about the way Jesus treats the Sabbath versus the way the teachers of religious law and the Jews as a whole would treat the Sabbath. Um, that Jesus does things on the Sabbath nobody else would have done. Right. Uh, I think we've talked about it on here before where you say – where you said that uh, in in the – is it in the Talmud where they had like the yeah. – all the rules they'd, yeah. they'd kind of laid out on this is what work is on right, the Sabbath? Right, 39 works that you are not allowed to do on the Sabbath. And one of them was making brick right. out of mud. Right. And so when Jesus heals the blind man – He spits he on the spits ground. He spits on the ground and he and forms he it in mud. his hand. And they said, oh, that's work. Right. One of the other works is reaping. So when the disciples walking down the road on a Sabbath get hungry and they grab some wheat and kind of rub it in their hands to get rid of the chaff and just have the wheat kernels and they pop the wheat kernels in their mouth, the Pharisees, the tried and true Pharisees say, that's reaping. You are harvesting. We can't do that on the Sabbath. Yeah. Uh, Jesus heals on the yeah, Sabbath. Yeah. Uh, wh- who does he heal on the Sabbath? Are there a couple stories across two the, different yeah, Gospels? Mark, yeah, several. Okay. Mark 3 is one of them. Uh, and there the man, he has a deformed hand, a withered hand. Yeah. And before he heals him, Jesus looks around the Pharisees and says, all right, should I do good or do evil on the Sabbath? He's essentially saying, I can heal him. I know I can heal him. If I don't, that's bad. Right. If I do, that'd be good. So you want me to do good or do bad? Right. <laughs> um, the man in John chapter five or six, uh, he's paralyzed and mm-hmm. Jesus heals him and says, take up your bed and walk. Happened to be on the Sabbath. When... The Pharisees approach the disciples because Jesus, uh, well, the disciples took uh, uh, ears of wheat and popped the kernels in their mouth on the Sabbath. Jesus answers them and he said, basically, uh, the man wasn't created for Sabbath. Sabbath was created for the man. And what he's talking about there is he's saying, look back at the story of creation. What came first, man or Sabbath? Well, man was created on the sixth day. Sabbath is the seventh day. And Jesus says, ah, so the Sabbath was created for man. Interesting. So why wouldn't man eat on the Sabbath, even if it means 
harvesting a little bit of wheat. Right. Right. Yeah, the the Sabbath was meant to be a day of rest and renewal. Right, right. It wasn't and meant to be this plucking, oppressive thing. Exactly. Plucking a couple of ears of wheat, that's not unrestful. Right. And and then, oh, oh the other one it, that he mentions uh, during one of the healings, when they call him out on the fact that he has healed on the Sabbath, he says, well, if you're, you know, if you're, you say, I'm trying to think because in the chosen, he says it's different than what it says in the scripture, but it's like ox or. Oh yeah. If your he falls ox, in a hole, wouldn't in a you hole. rescue him? Yeah. And the idea there is like, it would be bad for you to not save this animal. It would be bad for the animal for right. you to not save this animal. And so it's like Jesus is pointing out that the law doesn't exist to to enslave man. Right. The law exists to teach man the heart of God and to benefit man. Right? It's it's there for us to be better, not to to wear us down, but the Pharisees had turned it into the opposite. It's this binding thing. It's this it's enslavement to the law. Yeah, he's basically saying, "Would God want this animal to die?" Right, right. Uh, no. So, so how much? Not. Well, and once again, it's kind of like the "Why do you worry?" Like the little birds of the field, or the little birds of the right, sky, and the flowers right, of the right. field. God takes care of them. How much more does He care about you? Right. So why should you worry? Well, this is like Jesus is saying. Would you not rescue your animal if it fell into a well on the Sabbath? Well, how much more does God love this man? Yeah. Does he not want me to heal him? You know what I mean? Or does he not want this man to eat? Or does he not, you know? So you see that Jesus is showing people like, you've been looking at the law wrong and you've twisted the words of God. A lot of the surprises that we see uh, in Scripture comes when Jesus confronts the existing uh, religious authorities. That would include people like the Pharisees. It includes people like the scribes, people like uh, the priests, chief priests. And uh, he takes them all on. In fact, he is more concerned about them than he is about the Romans who happened to inhabit Israel. Most of his interactions with Romans actually ends up being pretty positive. He heals the centurion's slave. Um, I'm trying to think of others, but uh, for Pete's sakes, he even has uh, one of the Roman functionaries, a tax collector, as one of his disciples. Yeah. Uh, That is, that's odd. That's strange. Yeah. Well, he he hangs out in the presence of prostitutes and gamblers yeah. and tax collectors yeah. and uh, what what would have been deemed you know quote unquote sinners um, that that we would look at these people and go oh wow they got a lot of problems and Jesus is like well, you've all got a lot of problems <laughs> I'm going to hang out with the worst of you as you would call them you know it, it, it you're, it's it's no different. Some of what he does on a, just on a daily basis, he speaks to women publicly. Now, that was not necessarily illegal to do, but uh, as a custom, men would not speak to women in public. Uh, they would speak to their husbands, uh, arrange for a meeting where they could speak to them in private. But Jesus just talked to them in public. And a couple of times we have women approach him in public and they are trembling. They're, they're in fear. 
part of their fear is, will Jesus even talk to me? But another part of it, I'm convinced, is will the men in the crowd stone me? Will they kill me because I'm speaking to Jesus? Or maybe not kill because uh, the Jews couldn't kill in that day. The Romans occupied the land. But certainly they could make life tough for him. Mm-hmm. Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman. And when the disciples get back with food, they are shocked. Who is she? Why is he talking to her? And they ask him. Yeah. It's like even the guys closest to him can't wrap their heads around it. They can't get everything that he's doing. Right. Which, I mean, is funny because like, uh, you know, we talk about this from time to time that um, I, I just think it's so funny when he says the the whole, you know, how much longer do I have to put up with you people? <laughs> because it's he's frustrated. They they aren't getting it. Um, but I, but I think I don't know. I think there's more to that though. But it, it's just interesting that even when when God is operating right in front of us, we we still have a hard time laying down our expectations. Yeah, and that happens today. Oh yeah. A lot. Oh yeah. A lot. And and that's something that that kind of studying this thinking about this has kind of put in my head is you know, I look at the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law and Jesus spends so much time overturning their presuppositions about the word of God, right? And I mean, yeah. it's based their their views were based on the word of God and rooted in the word of God. Yeah. And they came up with this whole system to explain it. Right. And then Jesus is going, "Yeah, well you were wrong." <laughs> and so I look at us today and go, how much have we set Added up to right, yeah. right. That we're like, well, this is what God said. And that, but we put our own little spin on it. And I mean, right. that you got different denominations that think different things. So clearly we've done it somewhere. <laughs> the question is like, based on what God meant for us to think versus yeah. what we do think, yeah. you know, who's got what right and who's got what wrong. It's, it's a really interesting thing to think about. Because I I doubt any one person's got it all right, right, or any right, one group. Right, right. There's there's one episode that happens in the Gospels. It happens in all four Gospels, and this is it might be the only outside of the crucifixion, the only thing mentioned in all four Gospels. And that's when Jesus feeds the five thousand. Clearly, that is like a watershed event in his ministry. Uh, John is the one that goes into the most detail, and John is the one that picks up on the thing that I kind of wanted to talk about from it. Jesus feeds the 5,000 with a little boy's lunch with, with five little biscuits and two fish, two, you know, probably sardine-like fish. And not only is there enough to feed 5,000, there's 12 baskets of leftovers when they're done. Um... In the book of John, chapter 14, after that miracle, John says, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he's the prophet that we've been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. So Jesus sees that they have the expectation of a Messiah who's going to stand up to Rome. When he doesn't do that, he realizes that the crowd is going to take him, proclaim him king, and kind of make him a puppet. And then they 
will stand up to Rome using Jesus as the front man. So the, uh, uh, the, the feeding of the 5,000 is a perfect time for them to do that. Why? Because that's what Moses did. Moses fed the crowd in the wilderness. So Jesus comes out of that. Now there is Jesus walking on the water, but they go back to Galilee. And when they get to Galilee, the people come ashore and uh, they see Jesus um, now in Galilee. So in verse 25, they say, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus's immediate tone is very negative. He says in verse 26, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the sign. Don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. Now, Jesus understood that they wanted to take him and make him king because he fed him in the desert like Moses did. So when they come to him, and they start talking to him, Jesus says, you didn't see the sign. If you saw the sign, you would understand and you'd follow me. You're not looking to follow me. You're looking to exploit me. You're looking for me because your bellies were full. Literally, in Greek it says, you filled your bellies. They're looking for their own good. They're looking to exploit him. So their response is, we want to perform God's works too. What do we do? What they're saying is, okay, if you're not going to be the miracle worker, show us the trick. Show us how you did it. We'll find somebody to do it ourselves. At that point, Jesus says, the only work God wants from you, believe in the one he sent. And they say, well, show us a sign and we'll believe in you. Did he not, did he not just do that? Exactly. Exactly. There's so many, can can I just pause and try and get a few things in here? Absolutely. Because you're blowing my mind a little bit. I've never really dug into this story like this. Um, But I, I, so there's a very Simon the Sorcerer thing going on there. Mm Uh-huh. Where they're like, well, just teach me how you did it then. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. But I also see this, you're saying that Jesus is saying you, you're just after this because of what I've done for you. Exactly. Um, but this also feels like the rich young ruler or the like pearl of great price kind of thing, like the, you know, the treasure in the field that Jesus sees these people are not willing to give up everything they have to yes, come follow. Exactly. But this is on a massive scale, whereas that parable is oh, about this is one a man. group. Right. Yeah. Versus, or like the rich young ruler is an individual. But this is – it's happening at large with a lot of people. But it's the same concept. Right. Is this where he – is this where he turns around and says, pick up your cross and come follow me? Or no. is that down the road? No, that's down the road. Okay. But he comes close to it. Right. He goes, uh, they go on and they say, hey, our ancestors ate manna when they journeyed through the wilderness. Scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they draw that parallelism. 
Jesus feeding 5,000 in the desert is just like Moses giving the manna to the people of Israel. Okay. Jesus says, tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you the bread. My father gave you the bread. Then Jesus, uh, then they say, well, Lord, give us that bread. All we're asking for, do the sign, do the miracle. We'll take care of the rest. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You haven't believed in me even though you've seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me. Later on in that paragraph, he says, I am the bread again. They say, how can you say you're the bread that came down from heaven? You're Jesus, the son of Joseph. In verse 43, Jesus says, stop complaining about what I said. He goes on and then he tells them again, I am the bread of life. In verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I offer so the world may live is my flesh. The people say, how can you give us your flesh to eat? What are you talking about? Cannibalism? And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life. As a result of what he said, verse 60, many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand, who can accept it? And in verse 66, at this point, many of the disciples turned away and deserted him. Hmm. There is the shocking thing. Jesus teaches them something that is so vastly different from what they expected. Well, that can- they walk away. Cannibalism is shunned greatly it's it's a negative thing yes yeah yeah. i mean like i get why they're freaked out but it's like okay once again this is kind of like the pharisees when they call him uh when, when they say that he's performing his miracles by works of darkness right and he's saying you know could could works of darkness do this? I'm healing people. Right. Right. Like you're seeing things that are clearly coming from God. Right. And you're saying they're coming from the devil. Right. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You yeah. are, because you, you obviously will never believe right. this. Right. And so that's exactly what's happening here. He just fed all these people food from one little boy's lunch. And now they're asking for more miracles. And then when he turns around and says something really crazy, like, You've got to eat my my uh, body and drink my blood, right? They can't even stop to think what is the greater meaning of that. Like it, right. there must be something more to this because this man is clearly good. What he's doing is good. They can't see can't see the 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 forest through the trees kind of thing. Now there's a very small group, the group the twelve, the 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 twelve of the disciples. Jesus goes to them and he says, "You going to leave too?" And Simon Peter speaks up probably speaking for the 12. And he says, Lord, where would we go? You've got the words of life. Peter's essentially saying, I, heavens, I do not understand what you're talking about. Eat your flesh and drink your blood. 
But, but I know you. But I know you. And I've been with you long enough to know there's a deeper meaning here. And eventually, you've got to tell us what that deeper meaning is. You have the words of life. Hmm. So if we'd leave you, where'd we go? Right. Nobody else has these words. The, the other thing that that tells me is like they're sold out. The, the, the 12 have given up everything. Even though they don't understand. Yeah. And so like that, where would we go? I, I think has even greater meaning than like who else will we go to? But it's like we don't even really – we don't have homes anymore. We don't have we don't have anything anymore. We gave up everything for you, you know? Like, I mean, yeah, they could go back to their old lives, but – you know, what? what's that? After uh, Simon Peter says that, he says, we believe, we know that you're the Holy One of God. And Jesus said, yeah, I chose the 12 of you. One of you is a devil. <laughs> so even at the end of all of this, Jesus says, even out of the 12 of you, there's one. And that one is self-serving. Man. He's just like laying it on thick that day. Oi. He's like, you know what? I'm going to do some really amazing, great stuff, and you guys are going to be so mind blown. And then I'm going to tell you all the hardest things I've ever done. <laughs> and man, was it ever hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the other ones that I was thinking about is uh, the suffering servant. The, the Jews didn't believe the Messiah and the suffering servant were going to be the same person. That they believed that the Messiah was going to be a, a ruler. He was going to establish a kingdom right. that would last forever. Right. The, uh, today, I don't know the ancient Jewish view on this, but today Jews say, well, the suffering servant wasn't Christ. It was Israel. Israel is the yeah, suffering I servant. I think that was what the traditional view was back then. Right. And, and here he is, and he's showing, no, the prophet, the Messiah, the suffering servant – it's me. It's me. I'm yeah. all of it. Like they're expecting all these different figures to pop up. And it's like, no, I'm here. I'm all of it. And I came to die. Yeah. And he fulfills it all. And, and, and I think the problem at the root of all that is one, it's probably the biggest, the biggest thing that is like random. Um, maybe the, the most unexpected thing for them. And we haven't mentioned it yet, but that he's human. Yeah. Yeah. He's not yeah. this angelic character. He's not that like like this is this is God in the flesh, but he's human? Like that has to be hard to wrap your head around as as these people expecting this God warrior. I think they struggled with it. Well, even his followers. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. They clearly called him God. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think they struggled with the idea of, okay, so are there two gods? Is there one God? And it took them a while to wrap their minds around God has different uh, persons. Yeah. And well, and you know, he's he's just veiled enough in everything yeah. that he says that he wants – he doesn't just want it to be just so blunt that that everyone hears exactly what he's saying. He wants the people that are invested in what he's saying to hear what he's saying. Exactly. And so that's why people today, that's why Muslims have such a hard time with with the concept of Jesus as God. They're like, look, he says the he's Trinity. the son of man. Right. Well, no, they lean on son of man. Right. And, and it's like, yeah, but son of man is a, 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 a messianic figure. Mm -hmm. The son of man is God himself and receives worship. Yeah. So when Jesus is calling himself son of man, that's actually a, 
off the wall claim. That's you know what right. I mean? Like, it is. It is. And so it, he, yeah, I mean, that one is still hard for people today to wrap yeah. their heads around. Yeah. Anything else? Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's quite a few others that we could look at. Uh, but I think, uh, we do well to, to talk about. So what does this all mean? So what Jesus did surprising things. So does Steve Martin in his comedy shtick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, why is this so different? What is the common theme in, uh, the strange things that Jesus does? What does it mean for us? Are you asking me? I'm asking you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have some ideas. I didn't but know if it was like rhetorical. No, I don't have a set answer in that. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think the overarching takeaway is that God doesn't let us pin him down. Yeah. I mean, so I, I talked about this here a while back um, to, to the kids in middle school, actually, that, that is, or no, it was high school, that Israel... The name Israel means to wrestle with God. Right. And we are Israel. Yeah. As the believers yeah. in, in Christ, it, Israel has become us. The Gentiles have, yes. have been inherited into what well, we, we've, we've inherited Israel. Um, so that's what we do. We wrestle with God. We wrestle with the concept of God. We, we wrestle struggle. with the commands yeah. of God. Like we love him and we want to serve him, but like that's harder than just being like, yeah, cool. I, I, I do it. No, yeah. like it's, it's work and it's under, it's hard to understand. And, and we need to recognize that that's just part of it, that, yeah. that our God is mysterious and he is way bigger than we can wrap our heads around. You know, one of the surprising things that, that may lie behind a lot of this, um, you look at other religions, and by and large, they have statements of theology that are set out, or at least statements of philosophy that are set out. So in Confucianism, you have the teaching of Confucius. Uh, in uh, Buddhism, you have... Uh, is it the Veda uh, that is supposed to guide it? And those are the philosophical statement of what they're supposed to do. When you come to Scripture, it's stories. It's stories of people in relationship with God. Why? Because God wants to be in a relationship with us. Right. It's not about is our theology right. It's about is our heart right. Are we relating to can, God like he wants us to? Can we spell that out a little more? Like what you're – tell me if this is what you mean. Um, that like in those other books from the other religions, it seems like it's like do's and don'ts. Like do's it's like and don'ts live and, this way, don't live this way. Yeah, yeah. Um, because this will be it's, – it's like, it's like nothing but Proverbs. Right. But then what you're saying is like in Scripture, most of Scripture is reading – the history of what yeah. God has done for his people. And you do get do's and don'ts, but by and large, they're to set up. And then this king came along and here's what he did. And look at everything that he didn't do that he was right. supposed to do and that he did do that he wasn't supposed to do. It's like we can learn from the success and failures of all of mm-hmm. our of all of our ancestors throughout the lineage of, right. of Israel. Right, right. And realize like, well, wait, when he did this, God was favorable. Um, One of the other things that sticks out in my mind, have you ever seen the movie Fiddler on the Roof or the play Fiddler on the Roof? (laughs) I haven't. 
No, I know, really? okay. I know. Everybody gets on to me for that. So, one. Uh, yeah, there's this song in the middle of it called Tradition, and the fiddler is tradition. And every time uh, Rev Tevya uh, is faced with a difficult decision, out pops the fiddler, and Rev Tevya goes the way of tradition. We as Christians, so many times we develop traditions. Jesus broke down traditions. Now, some traditions he followed. He went to the temple. He was in the temple. He prayed in the temple. He, he, uh, there were some traditions that he followed, but by and large, Jesus looked at the traditions, weighed them against scripture. And if scripture didn't back the tradition, Jesus said, huh, we're not going to do that. Right. Uh, Eating, uh, 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 popping some ears of wheat, some kernels of wheat in your mouth on the Sabbath day. Tradition said that's reaping. Old Testament doesn't say that. So Jesus said, what was made first, man or the Sabbath? Well, man, okay, so Sabbath's made for the man. Back off. (laughs) Right, right. I think each one of us needs to look at our life, what we do, We do many things that we do because that's what's always been done. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because many traditions have good reasons. But also many traditions had good reasons 50 years ago and 70 years ago and 80 years ago. And those reasons don't apply anymore. We need to evaluate that. We need to look at that and make a decision. Is this a tradition or is this something that I really need to be doing and obeying? Right. Right. Jesus broke those traditions frequently, but he always seemed to have a reason for doing it. Yeah. He, I, I think the problem to add to that, uh, in our lives today is, uh, similar to what the Pharisees did as well, is that if we find a tradition that we like and it becomes contested and somebody says, well, you know, that's not biblical, um, often we will bend over backwards and make these arguments that we really have to reach for to make to support our arguments. We have to stretch the scriptures. (laughs) When Jesus always kept it really basic, when he would look at scripture, he'd be like, well, look, clearly, you know, man was made the sixth day. The Sabbath made the seventh day. The Sabbath was made for man. Like, man man came first, you know? Like, that's a simple argument. Um, And so, just something, you know, that we need to be aware of when we're we're trying to defend our positions on traditions or whatever. Um, You know, is this an easy thing to support biblically or am I really struggling to do this? And am I reaching to do this? Um, we we got to be willing to lay down our traditions to do yeah. what's right for God's people. Um, and there's so many, so many things we get hung up on as the church today. A couple of weeks ago, months ago, probably now we did an episode on deconstructing our faith. Yeah. This is kind of a, you know, I can see where there's a relationship there. Yeah. Well, Jesus forced everybody into an immediate destruction of the race. Yeah. yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah. It's 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 a constant thing. Paul says, "Examine yourselves." Yeah. Um, yeah. He understood. 
he understood the importance of, I mean, yeah, talk about a guy. I mean, he was a Pharisee. Oh, my he, goodness. He yeah. was one of the guys, I, like Paul and Nicodemus, two of the Pharisees. They were that, cut from the same mold. Yeah, that, that hear Jesus and then realize, like, there's more to this. Yeah. And start really looking at everything they thought was true and deconstructing. We've got to be those people. We've got to be willing to go, yeah, I thought the world worked this way. And I was wrong. Maybe it doesn't. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe not even I'm wrong, but maybe like, maybe I could be wrong. That's a good starting place. Yes, it is. Um, is. And so, yeah, yeah, that's, that's worth looking into and and just be willing to listen to the, what, what God is telling us through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So we're back to read your Bible. (laughs) Look, it's going to land there every time. Like, that's just what it's all about. Get get back in the Word. Be in active prayer all the time. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, you got anything else? Um, no. There, you know, there are a lot of other examples that I'm sure we could go to. But, sure. Uh, Those were the main pretty ones. pretty much hit, the, hit the, the same speaking points. He did raise from the grave. We probably yeah. didn't mention Nobody that. expected that. Yeah. 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 In but, fact, they were surprised when they saw him again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but in fact... Biblically, I mean, other than the, other than the, you know, he'll bite your, you'll bite his heel, but he'll crush your head. I mean, is there a resurrection prophecy? Uh, There might be. Other than defeating death. Yeah. 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 I mean, he defeated death. That's how he did it. sure. Right. But it was not expected to go down that way. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I love about the resurrection? What's that? To prove that he wasn't just a ghost. Uh, one of the times when Jesus comes to the, comes to the disciples, he says, got anything to eat? <laughs> yeah. And they give him a piece of fish and he eats the fish. Yeah. The, the fully no resurrected, <laughs> the fully resurrected, like fully God, Jesus, you know, <laughs> eats fish. Do you have anything to eat? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. People don't I probably that. generally think of like the spiritual, like, but he was physical, though. But yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. So he, it's, he's just full of surprises. Hundred percent, man. And the man part was hungry. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. That's cool. Um, thank you guys for listening. Uh, I hope that this blesses you and maybe just gets you thinking about, you know, all the ways that Jesus just he surprises us all the time and continues to do so. The more we read and the more we pray and the more we, we walk with him through our lives. And so uh, we we just hope that this helps you out in that. Uh, Thank you for listening. If you got questions, you can send those to salty saints at becomehope.com or questions at become. Wait, did I do questions? Yeah. Nope. Questions at becomehope.com or salty saints at becomehope.com. Those trip me up because they end the same. Um, and then make sure to get over to Life Audio. Uh, they are our partners and uh, they got lots and lots of podcasts over there to check out. Uh, we are one of those featured podcasts. So if you want to check us out on Life Audio, you can listen there as well as wherever you typically listen. But they've got tons of podcasts for all of your spiritual needs and growth. And uh, stay salty. Dedicating time each day to spend feeding our minds and our hearts the truth of God's Word is immensely helpful in our growth as followers of Christ. I'm John Stonge, and each day I host a show called Daily Devotions with Pastor John. On the show, I spend just a few minutes taking an applicational look at one or two verses of Scripture before coming to the Lord in prayer. If you'd like to make a habit of spending more time meditating on the truth of God's Word, 
You can listen to daily devotions with Pastor John at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.